Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of News You Can Use right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. I'm Ann Baldwin, one of the hosts of this program. And I am Tracy Knight, her co-host. Well, I can't even, I don't even recognize you. We're going to get, you know, if you recall <laughs> as, as listeners, um, Tracy went on the coach's uh, plan um, and you are, you look amazing already. Thank you. Can you give us, I know we're not going to ruin the surprise, but can you just tell, how's it going? I feel amazing. And uh, the transformation is huge in just a very short amount of time. It's really two full weeks and um, down a couple pant sizes and it's wow. just, it's amazing. It is amazing. So amazing. we can't, we can't put you, you can't put yourself on a scale for how much longer? Uh, it's 21 days. 21 so days. March okay. 9th will be the 21 day. So we'll be doing a show to yeah. kind of do a little follow up. And right. We're going to we're going to get the coach back too because um, also just to let you in on a little intel, um, the coach made Tracy cry. <laughs> he did. He did. He got to me. Yeah, but it was a breakthrough, right? It wasn't a yeah. sad cry. So oh, no, no. oh, so there's just so much to this program I didn't even know about. So that's great. Um, so today we are excited to have a dear, dear friend. We don't say old friends anymore. We just say a dear, dear friend of my longtime friend. Gail Liebert is here, and Gail is the Director of Partnership Development at this wonderful place called Kleenberg Family Centers. So, Gail, thanks so much for being in studio today. We're all back together. Isn't this wonderful? It's so wonderful. It's great to be in your new, beautiful new offices, Thank right you. in the middle of everything. Yes. And uh, just loving being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I like being at One Liberty Square. It's a nice address to have, so yep. thanks for stopping by. And like I said, Tracy, you know, Gail and I go back, but, you know, for our listeners out there who might not be familiar with, with Kleenberg, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's history we could take up five shows. But, you know, you know how to do this, a brief history and really how Kleenberg got started and where you're at today. So Klingberg Family Centers started in 1903 when John Klingberg um, took in three abandoned boys. And these boys had been abandoned, and John Klingberg, who had four children of his own, was horrified that these kids had been abandoned and left for, for nothing, really. Mm -hmm. 
So he decided to take them in, and he established a home for them. He leased a home in downtown New Britain, and one home, when the news spread that he was taking in abandoned children's, one home turned into three homes, turned into five homes, until he got up to 10 homes in New Britain that were filled with kids. He had an infant home. He had a home for boys. He had a home for girls. And so um, in those days, it was not uh, illegal to abandon children. You could abandon children without any ramifications. And it was different back then. You abandoned children because moms died in childbirth. Mm -hmm. And so um, what was a dad to do? I mean, he had four kids that he needed to feed. He had to go to work. And so sadly, he would have to abandon them or give them to John Klingberg. And then when he found a wife or a caretaker, he would come and pick them back up, and um, the kids were well cared for, and life would go on. Uh, So fast forward to the early 70s after John Klingberg uh, died and and Haddon Klingberg, his son, took over. Then Don, the grandson, took over. Um, In the 70s, we became a social service agency that didn't take care of abandoned kids because kids were not legally abandoned anymore. We took care of kids who were in difficult situations or parental rights had been um, uh, removed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kids have been removed from home. So that's how it all started. So, Gail, before we continue with the historical perspective, you know, the other thing is at Kleinberg here in New Britain, um, up on the hill, there's such a beautiful area in there. Is it open to the public yet? The museum piece and the pictures that are there and the signs that are there. And I'll never forget when I went to visit that, there's one picture of a man who, can you tell the story about how this father was bringing the girl, or was it the grandfather that was bringing the little girl to the orphanage? Yes. So we have, um, we do have a museum. It's a one uh, room museum that tells, it really tells a lot of New Britain history as well and the history of orphanages, um, which, you know, are rarely talked about in today's Mm -hmm. world. So this little, this, um, uh, we discovered this woman who was 99 years old back in the, in the eighties, and she had never told her her children, that she was an orphan. Mm-hmm. And she and, her, she and her son were driving around through New Britain, and she looked up at the hill, and she pointed to it, and she said to her son, that's where I grew up. And he said, well, what do you mean? I thought you grew up with the McKinsey's. And he said, she said, no, I, never, I was too ashamed. I never wanted you to know that I grew up in an orphanage. Mm-hmm. So she came um, and visited the orphanage with her son and subsequently told the story of how she was placed in the orphanage and what she remembered about it. Wow. Um, she and her sister were adopted or were, were into the orphanage, and she has such amazing memories of remembering her grandfather and her grandmother walking her up this this huge hill mm-hmm. in New Britain. And her father, her grandfather could continue because he was so emotional. And so her grandmother continued to walk she and her sister up the hill until they got to the home. And that's when when she went. So you think about these kids um, then and even today Mm -hmm. who do not have parents um, who are abandoned or not taken care of properly by the very people um, that they're meant to love, who are meant to love and trust them, who they think are going to love and trust them. And sadly, for whatever reason, and there are many um, to then and today, mm-hmm. can't. Mm. Well, interestingly enough, I just had found out uh, recently that my father's mother actually grew up in an orphanage. I had oh. no idea. And the reason I found out is because um, there had been some health issues in the family lately. So we were trying to kind of, you know, trace back with a little bit of a health history uh, on both sides. And you can't do that. 
because unfortunately, um, you know, none of those records were kept. And, you know, uh, it's, it's a really sad thing to think about, you know, how these children, I mean, as you say, I mean, in a lot of situations, I'm sure it was a, a beautiful gift because a child who may have, you know, not had been able to have a decent life with an adoptive family. Right. Um, but uh, it's, it's interesting when you, when you get to talk to them about the history of the orphanages and how it far is. we've come. And know? there are a lot of people today um, who, like you, are doing searches and trying to find. Um, we have over 1,500 records of over 1,500 children who yeah. lived in uh, the orphanage from 1903 to 1972. After that, um, the records are sealed. Sure. Um, and it becomes a confidentiality issue, which sure. is understandable. Mm-hmm. But we have fi- folders of people, of kids who grew up there, we have people who visit who have never seen a photo of themselves as a child. Mm-hmm. So you think about, you know, never having a picture of yourself and never seeing what you looked like wow. as a child. You don't think about that. Mm-mm. You really don't. And, you know, for most of these folks, you know, hats off to Kleinberg, really, Mr. Kleinberg, because this was, you know, it hit him in the heart. And, and why doesn't it? And I really admire the fact that Kleinberg has really honored his legacy as you move into, you know, the year that we're in now, you still continue to work in the right way. And and back to what you said, Tracy, mm-hmm. these kids, when you look at the pictures, mm-hmm. they're all nicely dressed. Mm-hmm. They they still had schooling. They learned their manners. Right. They, you know, so it, it wasn't a bad thing. It was really a good thing. And you're continuing that work over there. So fast forward to today, it's not an orphanage. Nope. So we're not an orphanage. Um, seven years ago, we... Um, transitioned from being a residential facility where kids were actually in residence running up and down the halls. Um, I remember it well. It was unbelievable. Um, DCF asked us to transition the kids that we had in residence to um, homes, um, godparents, grandparents, um, foster homes, um, and they believed that the kids needed to be in a safe home. Mm -hmm. And who doesn't believe that? Um, And so um, we established, we shifted away from the residential facility uh, treatment services, and we um, created support systems for these families. So we have a very strong foster care and adoption program. We have a very strong outpatient clinic. In fact, we have outpatient clinicians who are actually embedded in the uh, New Britain elementary schools. In all of the New Britain elementary schools, some of our folks are in there working with kids and families to keep them intact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we have a special education school on our campus that um, kids from all over um, the, the greater Hartford area are bussed in every single day mm-hmm. because they can't tolerate a uh, traditional school setting or even a special education school setting. Sure. They need support constantly. And right. so we have a team that does that as well. So it's really important to important work for sure. Amazing. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Gail Liebert. She, again, is the Director of Partnership Development at Kleinberg Family Centers. And, and it's interesting how you've how you've evolved. And I know that it's hard. You're a nonprofit, right? right? So I, I work a lot with nonprofits, and, I, and the struggle is real because the funding doesn't always cover the expenses. And there's so many members of our community that need this additional support. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Gail, I can tell you from experience, is the one behind most of the fundraising efforts, always has ideas, always gets great. I love your car show. Your car show is one of your signature events over at Kleinberg. So what else are you doing to keep the, 
to keep everybody going. So um, certainly the pandemic has been challenging and certainly for our client families, it's been really challenging because many of them had low paying jobs that were eliminated. And so that really has made it difficult for them. Um, but we've been, um, we've developed some new services. Certainly the, um, the embedded outpatient clinicians working in the school systems has been really successful. Mm -hmm. It's easier for the families and the kids to have treatment services. Mm -hmm. Um, the other, we have a new program that we're really excited about uh, that is a federally funded program called the QPC, not quarter pounder with cheese. Oh, now, man. I thought you were oh, going to say that. I'm on a diet. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> not that. Um, it's the Quality Parenting Center. And this is a place, it um, is on our campus in New Britain. It's open nights and weekends. And it's actually John Klingberg's former family home. The oh, actual wow. building is a 50s um, family home building type of thing. And it's where children who have been removed from uh, their family, um, for whatever reason, are actually brought in, uh, kind of reunited with their family, their biological family members, in the hopes of getting them back together again. Now, um, this has happened in the past in restaurants, in public places. Oh, I used in to be in a building where I saw it happen on a picnic bench out in front of the building, yeah. and it was so sad. You know, here's the parents sitting there and the kids playing in the dirt, and how great is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, and DCF offices, all sorts of different, really not fun places. Yep. Um, and so this has um, a living room and uh, rooms where the, peop the people can play with their kids, games, books they can read. Um, they can make food, um, order in pizza. So it takes the trauma out of already traumatized sure. kids and makes it more comfortable. And for the for the um, for the for the adults, it's helpful for them as well. And of course, we have workers there um, to support both sides. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's really special to have that, oh, that going on. That, what a great program. Well, you're needing that space. Um, I guess I have a question just because of, you know, what I've been hearing in the news and what have you, um, the displacement of a lot of those uh, children that have come across the border. Mm -hmm. um, are you feeling any effects of that? Or are you involved in any of the integration or, or help processes that they're requiring at this point? We are not um, that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, it's not, uh, hasn't been a big push for us yet. Yet. Right. Um, but um, it may be happening mm -hmm. in that um, the families are coming through other families that live in Connecticut. Right, right. So when we actually log in a family, it's with a Connecticut address. So I wouldn't necessarily know that sure. they were right, a, right. a family that, that had immigrated. Yeah. What's interesting is we are seeing... Um, our, our uh, child abuse treatment services program is seeing a lot of Portuguese, um, Brazilian people coming okay. in okay. Um, from communities in the West Hartford, Hartford area. Okay. And they've actually requested funding for a Portuguese-speaking clinician okay. and therapist to help them. So mm -hmm. it's interesting how... Um, as you said, the, right. the whole community changes. Sure, um, John Klingberg would have never, ever thought in right. a million years <laughs> yes. right, right. that yeah. he would be treating children from Portugal or right. Brazil right. or wherever. So. And they did have, um, you know, very high COVID numbers for a long period of time there. And you did see a lot of people because of the medical care or lack thereof sometimes um, where they were um, kind of, you know, coming into the United States to get a little assistance with that. So That's right. that doesn't surprise me, Yeah, you know. 
Gail, I want to go back to the reunification priority. Uh, I hear that a lot. And, uh, you know, I speak from personal experience. There's a a poor grandmother who's raising her three Mm -hmm. grandchildren. It's a whole story, and they're teenagers, and it's not going well. Um, So, you know, the reunification push, I I wonder why that's always a priority. Why is always the push to get that kid back to the home if the home wasn't suited for them in the first place? It's it's an issue on several levels. One, it's an issue of trauma and the idea that you're healing by going back to a place and not having it the bad place, but having it the good place. So that would be one one important in, reason. In the Kleinberg place where they're going to meet, you mean? So it's a new environment. It's a new beginning. Right. It, okay. But then, and then the, the family is hopefully getting some type of therapy, individual and group therapy. Good. I was saying there's got to be wraparound services because yes. things don't just change on their own. I mean, it is what it is in most cases. So. Right. So it's they're they're also experiencing you know that kind of individual or whatever therapy is needed, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's different for ne- different folks. Um, sometimes it's abuse. Sometimes there are abuse issues, and we have to treat that. Sometimes it's isolation. Sometimes it's um, someone who's been taken to jail and they're coming back out of it. So it could be very various things. But there are different services that can that can help that. So that's really an important piece. The other piece is that it's hard to find a fit for a child that is out there. Um, And so you need to find the perfect family to match the kid. Um, And not all families can deal with what these kids have been through. You know, people think they're adopting. um, So Anne knows that my my story is that um, my husband and I, over 35 years ago, adopted two older children through the state. And I often say that we were more naive than anything else. Everybody says, oh, that was such so nice of you. What oh, a you good so thing good. to do. You're going to heaven. <laughs> no. we, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. We were just naive yeah. and believed that we could make a difference and wanted to make a difference in, in kids' lives. But you don't know what, you're, what you don't know. That's and right. you, That's and right. any child, biological or otherwise, has issues. But kids who have been bounced around 11 and 12 times in their 12-year-old life. It's unimaginable. Yeah, it really is. So um, it, it's the matching of the new home that is so mm-hmm. difficult. So is there a relationship, can I ask, with your adult adopted children yes. today? Yes. So, so I have two grown granddaughters Yay! Um, that I got to see from birth. Um, and so um, we really, we learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about as a couple, we learned a lot about each other, um, and it, it was a really difficult experience in a lot of ways, and I could tell you some horror stories that I won't talk about, <laughs> and then there were some really wonderful joys, so um, it was really a great experience. One thing that was kind of alarming to me a couple of times, I've you know um, just been on sites, websites, and you see in Connecticut the adoptive um, sites that they have, and you'll see these older children. And some of them are siblings. There might be two and three of them. And and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my, it's so sad because a lot of people, of course, are going to be looking for babies. Yes. Just like mm-hmm. with puppies, right? When, yes. you're, right? when people are adopting dogs, they're like, they yes. want the puppies. They don't want the, you know. And um, how do you deal with um, kind of that cycle of having, what's the, what's the point at which um, those older children, if they aren't placed somewhere, what what's the process? What, what do we, how do we get them into, like, you know, educated and get them into... Well, so it's funny that you bring this up. So I did a little research, and there are right now, as of January uh, 22, 
There are 3,287 children that are in the process right now. In Connecticut? In Connecticut. Wow. Uh, 42% of them are in foster care. Um, and then 35% are with relatives of mm-hmm. some sort. Mm-hmm. 9% are in independent living. Mm-hmm. So that would be your folks who can't, who are too old, if you will. And 7% in residential care, which were really severe kids. Mm-hmm. So to back up to your question, there really is no too old. Um, we adopted our daughters at 12 and a half and 13. Okay. Um, they were different. They were from different biological families, and we did it two years apart. Um, but... It's harder, yeah. Um, but it's easier because you're not dealing with diapers. You're not dealing with right. a lot of the other stuff. Right. So, um, you know, it's never too – we always say um, earlier is better to catch all of this and to get a child moved into a safe place, but it's never too late. Yeah. It really is never too late. We had uh, a young man uh, about two years ago. We had a young man who was adopted at age 17 and three-quarters. Oh. Wow. Wow. And this was a foster family who he had lived with for four years, I think. Mm -hmm. And neither one of them, for whatever reason, when he was ready to say, yes, I want to be adopted, they weren't ready. And then when they were ready to say, we want to adopt you, he wasn't ready. (laughs) And so it's it's a difficult thing. And so um, it's never too late, ever. Mm -hmm. You Um, know, and the other side of it is I've seen those stories, too, where where folks have have adopted um, children and now they're gold medal winners. and massive athletes. And just have, you know, academically. So it just depends. I have an adopted sister out of four siblings. My mom had me, and then they were told they couldn't have any more. So they adopted my sister at birth, and then she ended up having two more, um, you know, with my dad. But I got to tell you, it's been nothing but a a disaster, my sister. Uh, And you think, well, you get them as a baby, they're just going to morph into. But, you know, there's so much more than that. Uh, you know, this kid was running away from the house at like 11 and coming back a week later. And oh, no. so, yeah, yeah. But I love her to death. Yeah. I don't think of her as my adopted sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, is she different? Yes, but she's still my sister. And that's how I look at it. So I really give you credit too, Gail, for being realistic and open and honest about, especially from experience. Mm-hmm. It's not for everybody. No, mm-hmm. it's not for everybody. All right. We've just got a few more minutes left. I want to make sure that we get to talk about um, this is what I was talking about. This is the uh, Vintage Motor Car Series Kleinberg's Auto Show. Talk about it, Gail. I love this thing. You should see the cars that are there. And the best part is, one year, I got to be a judge. Ooh. Not that long ago. That's when, right. All right, it's coming up in June. It'll be here before you know it, right? That's right. So um, Klingberg Family Centers has been known for, this is our 30th year, our 30th anniversary wow. of um, doing fundraising with a vintage motor car festival. We're so fortunate because we have many car owners who don't often bring their um, bring their cars out sure. um, in public because they just like to ride them, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. But because we're a nonprofit and because all of the proceeds go to children and families in the programs we serve, mm-hmm. um, they come. And on we have a 40-acre hilltop campus in New Britain, mm-hmm. and the campus that day, Saturday, June 18th, which is the Saturday of Father's Day weekend, mm-hmm. is... a fun thing to do for Father's Day. I know, it? right? Isn't it? With the vintage cars? Yes. Yeah. Um, actually come, and our our campus is covered with vintage cars. Everything from an 1899 steam car wow. to a 1989 Camaro. Okay. Was there a Camaro in 1989? I'm I not have, sure. I, I'm, not, I'm, not a big, I'm not a big good. Camaro fan. 
And it's so much fun, and there's fun around it, and people just walk and talk and look. And is Wayne going to be there this year? Wayne is so excited to, <gasps> to be there. And our focus is Connecticut-made cars. Many people don't know that there were over 75 different brands of cars made in Connecticut. Wow. In the early 1900s. So those will have, we've already confirmed 14 different cars made in Connecticut that will be there on June 18th. Wonderful. So and, have, uh, and Wayne Carini is always there. Tell folks who Wayne is. I'm sure they already know. So Wayne is our res, our Connecticut resident um, celebrity when it comes to vintage cars. Uh, he's the host of Chasing Classic Cars on Motor Trend. Mm -hmm. He has his own magazine called The Chase, and he loves to find um, cars in barns that have been abandoned, yes, kind yeah. of like the kids yeah. Yeah, that yeah. we serve. <laughs> and he brings them back to life. And um, and resells them and uh, is, has an incredible network of collectors all over the, the world, actually. Awesome. All right. So you can go on the website. If people want more information, Gail, on any of your programs, where can they go? Klingberg.com. K-L-I-N-G-B-E-R-G.org. And the link to the auto show is right there as well. Okay. And, you know, it's a good opportunity if you go to this auto show because there are families that are there. Um, there are staff from Klingberg that is there. So you get to see... It's just a really weird aura around this car show because here sits the old orphanage, right, mm -hmm. which is now still such a great service center. But yet you're looking at all these cars. It's hard to explain. It almost gives me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, you know, uh, there's one of the car owner's wives said to me early on when I first started, she said, this is the only car show I come to because it's not all about guys and spark plugs and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really about kids and families, and that's what we love. Kids, you know, we have kids' activities. Um, the kids love to come as well and be with their dads and their uncles and their grandfathers and their moms. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we appreciate all that you do, um, and, it, you know, it's it's definitely a blessing to the community that this type of work is continuing on for, for all of those children that are out there. Right, and it's important that we support nonprofits. Absolutely. You know, you talk about the federal funding that you get, and we won't even talk about the state funding. I won't go there. But it's never enough, and there's so much need out there. And when we help these people, we help all people, we help each other. And especially now with what's going on, you know, in our country, you know, God help us, and we need to help each other. I think that's really the bottom line. Absolutely. All right. Well, Gail, thank you so much, Gail Lieber, for being here thank from Kleinberg uh, Family Centers right here in New Britain. It really had, there's just so many amazing stories. It puts a smile on your face. And, and more importantly, it kind of hits you in the heart. And sometimes we need to soften up a little bit, right, Ann Baldwin? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, Gail. And um, Tracy, this was, this was a very interesting show yes. and uh, kind of puts things in perspective. Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed this uh, program as much as we did, and we want to thank you for tuning in to News You Can Use right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.